Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. The youth sports race. I recently met today's guest, John O'Sullivan, when we were on a panel about youth sports, and we've had fascinating conversations about it. He has an experience from, from coaching soccer. I have my experience from coaching swimming. So I invited John onto my show so that we can have this conversation because he and I have the same principles that youth sports are a great form of personal development and you can still have high achieving athletes come from a place where love and acceptance and respect are cultivated. It doesn't have to be an either or black and white where either you win at all costs or you're picking daisies out of the soccer field. You can have the flow of personal development and high achievement in the same arena. John O'Sullivan is the founder of the Changing the Game Project, an initiative to educate parents, coaches, and athletes about the positive benefits of youth athletics and the need to remove adult priorities and values from our children's sports. He is the author of the national best-selling book, Changing the Game, the parent's guide to raising happy, high-performing athletes and giving youth sports back to our kids. His writing has been featured in the Huffington Post, and he speaks about developing more competitive, high-achieving athletes by building environments of love and respect rather than fear and pressure. John spent nearly three decades as a soccer player and coach on the youth, high school, college, and professional level. And as John says, when I was growing up, youth sports was about children competing against other children. Today, All too often, it is about adults competing against adults through their children. This is driving our kids out of sports, and this needs to change. John, hello and welcome to my show. Thanks for having me on. So that's such an important message when you talk about adults using youth sports to compete against each other, and and we've taken this game away from the kids, haven't we? Yeah, exactly. We we and, and it's not that we don't love our kids. We we of course do, but we've brought so many adult values and adult priorities into our kids' game that it we've lost focus of well, why do kids actually play and and what makes them quit? And and we have so much of the what makes them quit now that three out of four kids usually drop out of sports by middle school. So what is our big problem in in the youth sports arena? Is it that we're trying to be too high achieving? Is it that what is it? Um I don't know that you could put the the finger on one problem. Yeah, I, I'd say it's something that's been building for a while, which is a combination of schools cutting athletics. So schools are cutting PE and schools are cutting sports. And so that void is being filled by private sports clubs. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing, except that, you know, these are businesses and they have to pay their staff and they have to pay for facilities and all that stuff that used to be paid for by taxpayers. And so what happens, they need year round programs to be able to afford to do that. And this is making kids 
choose sooner and sooner, well, I'm going to be a soccer player, I'm going to just play baseball, or I'm going to uh, just be a swimmer or whatever it is. And and it's really putting tons of pressure on, on families from a financial standpoint and from a time commitment standpoint to say, man, we can only do one thing, so what's it going to be? And what unfortunately happens is that goes against all the science of athletic development. It goes against all the psychology of how kids develop and how we make them fall in love and take ownership of things. And and it's really creating quite a mess. Well, and isn't the other thing that's happening too is also this like race to get college scholarships where people are thinking, oh, my kid needs to excel at this so they can get a collegiate scholarship. Oh, definitely. So we were, we have kids that are specializing so early in a sport and then they get on this winning team because that seems to be the path and that's what everyone else is doing. And then we hire the private coach and there's this notion that on the back end, we're going to get paid back. We're going to get our money back in the form of an athletic scholarship. But what the numbers show is that that's so rare. Only about 1% of high school seniors get any sort of financial aid for college for from a sports standpoint. And usually it's of a partial scholarship. So, Rarely do families ever get their money back that they've invested in youth sports, never mind the the time and the energy and all the other things that their kids didn't do or their family didn't do because of sports. Now, I think sports as an investment is a great thing if you're saying, hey, this is to build character and this is to teach life lessons and I want a well-rounded and confident individual. Sports can teach that and that kind of stuff to me is priceless, but the idea that there's going to be a cash reward at the end of this is is really sort of a, a false hope. So I think people may be stumbling on that that fact of 1% of kids get college scholarships. They probably think that it's much higher than that. So yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I've seen surveys where parents say that, or where the surveys say that 30 to 50% of high school parents think their kids are going to get a scholarship, but only about 1% do. And and that massive divide between myth and reality drives some of this over-the-top behavior that we see. I, I tell this to parents all the time, um, that if you are doing youth sports to to get a college scholarship, you'd be better off putting the money and saving it for college and not doing the youth sports because you're going to end up with probably a much better gain. And you also say that in your book, Changing the Game. Yeah, exactly. There, there's if you're looking for a return on this investment, there's far better ways to get a return on the investment in terms of a financial return. Uh, but like I said, sports can be this amazing place, and, and we really lost a lot of the sources where our kids used to get their positive core values and, and life lessons. Certainly, pop culture doesn't teach these things anymore, and so sports can be this great place where you're children have positive adult role models and, and mentors and are around great kids doing pursuing healthy things. But um, that's a far different investment than something like, you know, a scholarship at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and so don't you think also that um, with, with all this, these different things, whether it's the pursuit of the college scholarship, the businesses that are coming out of here, the people measuring success by, you know, winning, that's all kind of adding. These are all the ingredients kind of for the perfect storm that we're now seeing in youth sports. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and the problem is we have this critical mass of 
parents, and again, 99% of them very well-intentioned and, and loving of their kids, but I, I think a lot of it, and I see a lot of it, is driven by fear. Everyone else is doing it, so I better as well, because if I don't, my son or my daughter might get shortchanged, and, and I, I've taken away this opportunity for them, and it's this idea, it's almost this guilt and, and the shame that you and I have spoken about mm-hmm. before, where where you know if I don't do this, I'm I've ruined my child's life, and really, you know, it's a, I saw you a couple of weeks ago, and after spending some time in in California, and, and um, I got an article sent to me from my in-laws in McLean, Virginia, or there in Bethesda, about just the same school situation, and you know, I, I just wrote a blog post on it called the race to nowhere and use sports that this mm-hmm. whole idea we're all chasing this, this elusive goal that only happens for this really tiny percentage. And we're dumping all the kids in the same funnel to do that. And we're spending all this time and all this money chasing something that's very unlikely. And we could be using sports for so many different things. And in fact, if we just pursued sports from a child centered standpoint, if we put the needs and the, the desires of the player first, we would not only have more children continuing to participate in sports, but the best athletes, we'd we'd actually have more high-performing athletes because, because this is the thing that leads to high performance, not the way we're currently doing it. Okay, so that's one of the reasons I love your book, because you're talking about changing the game and bringing it back to the kids, right? And a lot of people would think that then that's either or. It's black and white. Either we're going to be all this pressure and this race to nowhere in youth sports, or we're going to be picking daisies in the field. And really what you're saying is let's be child focused and we can develop high achieving kids in the sports arena. Yeah, that, that, that's it. And this is where sort of conventional wisdom has, has gone wrong that somehow, and, and I get this all the time, people saying, Oh, you're the mamby pamby guy. No, no standings, no trophy, you know, trophies for everyone. And anyone who knows me knows that that is exactly the opposite of me. As a player, I was incredibly competitive, and a coach, I was incredibly competitive. But when you create environments of love and respect, where where coaches are role models and and they provide this po- these positive core values for players, then you can actually push your players harder. Then you can actually have players who are more competitive. And when you create this environment of fear that a lot of coaches and a lot of parents do now, fear of making mistakes, fear that if I make an error, I will sit on the bench and I don't get to play, fear of getting yelled at and and criticized by parents and by coaches. That kind of environment is not an environment that allows athletes to be competitive. And I challenge any parent to look at quotes from the top professional athletes and ask them what happens when you're put under tremendous pressure. Most people crumble. And, and there's people who make lots of money working with professional athletes trying to teach them to deal with high-pressure situations and, and focus on, well, you know, pretend you're back on, you know, in your driveway playing pickup basketball when you're on center court at an NCAA Final Four because that's how you're going to play better. And we need to create environments that have less pressure, not more pressure. You know, and that's so true. And my listeners, they'll remember Kristen Neff, who's the University of Texas uh, research or professor, and she studies compassion. And she'll say compassion is the greatest motivator for change. And what I hear you saying is that when we are f- coming from this fear base, 
that's not sustainable. It may work for a short period of time and we can really control things and dominate things. But is that fear-based? Is that one of the reasons for the high dropout rate in youth sports? Oh, definitely. I, I mean, when, when there's been very large university studies done of why kids play and why kids quit. And when they're asked, why do they quit? The top four reasons are criticism and yelling, lack of playing time, emphasis on winning, and fear of making mistakes. And I, I always challenge parents when I, when I do my, my talks and my live events around the country. I say, think about your own work situation. If your boss was standing over you saying, if you screw this up, you're fired, is that an environment where you think that you could do your best work? And of course it's not. Well, why do we think that creating sports environments for 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds that are exactly that way is going to actually help them do well. <laughs> it does exactly the opposite. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting thing because we do um, we do do that, and we think it's it's okay. I'm sitting here reflecting on my own coaching, and in the other side, <laughs> <laughs> a little stumbling right now. Um, on the <laughs> the other side, though, is that when we're talking about play, coming from this place of love and respect, it doesn't mean that you know, we're, we're letting anything happen at practices as coaches or even as parents. Like I always say to people, compassionate people have boundaries, right? We're, we're trying to teach kids about perseverance, about working hard, about having some grit. So it doesn't mean we say, oh, okay, that's okay. You can, you know, not have to do this. It's about, we need to work through it and finding ways to motivate them or give them the structure so that they continue and they work hard to rise to the challenges that they want. Correct. It's totally correct, and uh, unfortunately, we live in this culture of sound bites and and <laughs> one minute video clips. Yeah, where where we see uh, a Mike Shashevsky on the basketball court yelling at one of his players, mm-hmm. or to, for a female coach, let's talk about a, a Pat Summit or uh, an Anson Dorrance, the women's soccer coach at North Carolina. You have these incredibly competitive individuals. And we see that clip and go, well, look how they're treating their player. But you don't see the, the hundreds of hours behind the scenes where they're developing a relationship with that player so that the player understands that really they're unconditionally loved by their coach and that their value as a human is not based on how they do in this game. And so those coaches are able to push their players to a far higher level because behind it all, is a player who knows that, that they are loved and they are respected and they are cared for as a person by these coach. Well, we don't see that part. We just see the, the angry coach getting in a player's face. And, and so that's what we emulate in our recreational soccer games or on, you know, our, our baseball game. And, and we're missing 99% of what goes on to be able to talk to a player that way. I don't think you should be losing your cool screaming at a 10-year-old because they're 10 and these are dealing with professional players and college players. But that being said, you know, you have to, you have to realize that, that there is an environment in those programs that allows players to be pushed. And if you don't create that environment, you can't push players. And that's what too many coaches try to do. And that's a really, really good point because people will see these sound bites, right? Or they'll see something. And just yesterday I was coaching. So I was coaching a bunch of young kids, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. And then later on, I turned around and I coached, uh, we call it our Red 2 group, which is a more, they're a training group. You know, they have 
they're older, they're like junior high school kids. And if you only saw me through that lens of coaching them, I was pretty, you know, I was pretty intense because I was, I'm trying to teach them certain things, but I adjust and I adapt according to the level of the kids that I'm coaching and, you know, the experience and the age. And I think that's a really important thing of what am I trying to teach them? And, you know, and sometimes how loud you have to be because sometimes my kids can be really loud. But, uh, and not that I always try to be loud. Sometimes I try to go the other way too. But um, understanding that there's there's so many different things and there's always a relationship that's being cultivated um, throughout. It's not just that one encounter. You know, the hours away from the pool deck or away from the basketball court or the soccer field, there's a lot of development that's happening in, in that relationship between the coach and the athlete, aren't there? Exactly. And I, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got and sort of the simplest way to put it is don't coach the sport, coach the child. Every child is different. Every mm-hmm. every athlete is different and is motivated in, in different ways and has their own securities and insecurities and their own things that they believe about themselves and, and not. And if you just coach the sport, you're, you're throwing this blanket thing on all these kids who are very different, but the best coaches, they coach the child. They mm-hmm. realize what this kid needs and they, and they tap into that and they tap into their strengths and they emphasize their strengths and help them get better at the things that, that um, are, are their weaknesses. Whereas, whereas some coaches just coach everyone the same and say, well, this is how my daddy raised me. And so, you know, you're going to sit in the bench because my daddy threw me on the bench when my attitude is bad. And it just doesn't work. And it's not what good coaches do. So recently, I'm not even sure, John, how this whole thing happened. I was having a conversation with a kid about her technique in the water. And we started talking about unicorns or something. And she was telling me how, and she's 10, how unicorns can swim. And um, I, I don't really remember the whole conversation. And I said, well, you know, create a unicorn and come and swim with it. So she started making these unicorns for her swim cap. And so she came the first time and she got in the water and it fell apart. And I said to her, I go, you know what? It's okay. It's like the iPhone. You know, you have to go through many revisions. We're like on iPhone 5 now, right? Just mm-hmm. just keep trying. So the next day she comes back and and a lot of this stuff happens during the warm-up. So we're not missing, you know, like the critical stuff, right? But she's 10. If I were coaching my college team, I would not be doing this. But She's 10. So then she keeps coming back and she now gets other friends involved in making this unicorn horn. And they keep, so I think she's on like version four at this point, but she has her own system, which she calls it. And it actually worked. And so all the, all the other girls are really excited. She's swimming with it. She made a whole practice with it. And what I loved about that, even though it really has nothing to do with swimming, some people could argue that we're taking time away, but it's during the warm up, is that I love that she tried something, she failed, she tried it again. It, it, it worked a little bit, but she tweaked it. And, you know, that's that growth mindset that you and I've talked about. That's what we were cultivating. And it came out of creating a unicorn horn for swim practice, which some people would have thought was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly right. And, and, what we what we've forgotten is that in our lives, the things that are our greatest achievements are usually things that we that we failed and we messed up and we got up and we dusted off and we moved on. And and I think sports is the best place to teach kids how to deal with failure because in reality there is so much of it, and it gives them perspective and it gives them this idea of you know when I mess up, what's good about this? What did I learn from this? How do I get, how do I get better? And, you know, 
building a unicorn for your swim cap is the same thing as, <laughs> as um, you know, learning to kick a soccer ball correctly or learning to hit a tennis ball correctly. You're not supposed to know how to do it right away. And our inclination as, as parents, of course, is to step in and correct and, and to fix. We want to fix it. We want to make it easier for our kids. But the fact is only by by tons of failure will they eventually succeed. And and in your situation, you're recognizing that you can teach that by, by you know, putting a, a unicorn on. <laughs> and she's doing – this is what she's doing with playdates, right? This is on her own time. So it's, it's – she has this intrinsic motivation and she's not getting something from it. I mean, there's obviously a tension, but it's something that she's experimenting with in a safe environment that's allowing her to do this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that horn can be some sort of breathing apparatus soon enough and can be a way to uh, better your time. We're just trying to keep her head still. That's the point of it <laughs> when she swims backstroke. No bobbing unicorn. Um, no bobbing unicorn, yeah. So don't you think, because I think one of the problems that we have with youth, because you mentioned the Race to Nowhere, I had the, the director and film producer of the Race to Nowhere on the show years ago, but like our kids aren't allowed that space to fail. You know, even though we understand intellectually that failure is really important to developing success and being high achieving, whether it's in sports or academics or life, in academics, they can't fail because, you know, we, we there's so much pressure to be the best. And right now there's so much fear in California because our students can't get into our own public universities, right? And then do you, don't you think that's now happening into the athletics where kids are going, oh, my gosh, if I don't specialize at the age of eight, I'm not going to make the high school whatever team, right? And, and so it's this fear that they, they don't have that space to fail. So we talk about it on one end, but on the other end, we're actually not, we're not living that way. We're not allowing them to fail. Exactly. And again, it's that fear that, oh, my God, if my, my kid fails this this here and gets off the team and out of the developmental track, then then they'll they'll never make it. And one of the saddest things I, I hear stories of of kids who who you know they they quit and they never come back because they've been forced into something that that they don't want to do and they have their regular coaching and their private coaching and all these things and and they have no childhood and you can never give a kid back their childhood. And the fact is, really, when it comes down to it, in, in the vast majority of sports, you, 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 there's a little bit of a benefit from an early introduction to it, but there are far more detriments than there are benefits of early specialization. You're far more likely to burn out, to quit, to get injured if you specialize early. You're far more likely to have maladaptive psychological behaviors where, where kids start to identify their worth as I'm, I'm John the soccer player versus John a guy who plays soccer and does all these other things. They get their whole circle of friends built around a sport, and then if they get hurt or they drop out, their whole lives collapse because that sport is gone versus really raising balanced and, and well-adjusted kids. And, and isn't that our job as parents is to raise good human beings. I mean, they're going to play sports maybe until, you know, their, their early twenties for 99.9999% of them. But the lessons they learn can last the rest of their life. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I think so much of, you know, I was a swimmer for so long and those lessons 
really helped develop who I was as a person. You know, it gave me the idea that I can work hard and, and create something. I can accomplish things. A lot of my own ownership and my own self-confidence just of if I keep showing up, I will get better. And talk about that being a great lesson in my life. I mean, that was something that I had to remind myself the other day as I was working with the mentor on something. I'm like, okay, I'm really scared, but I know the more I practice at something, I will get better at it. And that's something that I learned from being a swimmer all those years. Yeah, exactly. And you have, you know, again, you and I have spoken about your mentality and your makeup as a, as a young swimmer, you were able to be pushed in a way and commit in a way that maybe some of your friends weren't and, and they dropped out of it. And what I say and what I believe for coaches is that if we brought the attitude of my job is to create the next generation of fans for my game mm-hmm. and then through that, creating that environment where I am just trying to make people fall in love with this game because I love it so much can I not also teach and push players in a way that will allow the ones that have the physical, the the genetic ability and the drive and the motivation and the luck to also progress up the pipeline? I think you can. I think some people focus only on that 0.01% of kids who are going to advance to the highest level and and they point to them and say, oh, look at all the players I sent to college. And I said, well, how many thousand... <laughs> are left in their wake that don't even do the sport anymore because you sent 10 to college and no one likes to answer that question. Mm -hmm. There was this great um, swim coach. I'm not going to name his name, but he had produced a lot of Olympians and he's no longer alive. But um, when he was towards the end of his life, he had a huge regret because he he believed and he knew that he had destroyed more people than he'd really helped. And even though, you know, his team at one point had the Olympic rings on their swim caps because they, they had Olympians and um, he had world-class swimmers that he was able to produce. But the number of swimmers that he had to basically ruin to get that, it wasn't worth it. And, and now that's not to say again, to, back to your point of, we can be high achieving and we don't have to ruin people at the same time. Exactly. And, and it's the balance as a coach and it's the balance as a parent. You're always tiptoeing that line between how hard can I push and when do I have to to back off? But you know, that coach, I mean, what an, what an awful thing to realize on your deathbed or whatever of like my, what is my legacy is, mm-hmm. is, is more fa- is more failures and people who hate the sport that I love so much. And it's the question when I do coaching education programs, the first question I ask, I, I say, I'm going to pose a question to you. I want you to write this down, and obviously you can change it, but what is my coaching legacy going to be? Think out 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and write down in one sentence or two, what would you like to be remembered for by your athletes? And then, and then have that goal in mind every time you coach, because, because if your legacy is I want to be remembered for – by these people for being a great role model and pushing them and, and teaching them grit and teaching them to work hard. That's very different than I want to, I want to have 10 Olympians um, <laughs> who are coached by me. You know, it, it's a very, it's a very different thing, but most coaches have never thought about that. And, and I, I was related to playing golf. It's like, you know, you're on the tee, the holes over there. There's very few people who go straight to the hole. You're, you know, especially me, I'm on the rough on the right. I'm in the rough on the left. I'm in the bunker, but I eventually get to the hole. And you need to know where that hole is 
thought be to be heading in the right direction. And so many coaches never even think about what is this end game going to be? What's my legacy going to be? And I think it's maybe the most important question any coach can ask themselves before they get into coaching. And isn't that also just a great question to kind of tweak and ask us, ask ourselves as parents, you know, what, what is it that, um, I want my parenting legacy to be, you know, what is it, what's that thing down the road that we're looking for, letting go of that outcome of the scholarship or a certain achievement, but you know, what is it, what are the personal development aspects that we want our child to get from doing sports? Isn't that what we should be asking ourselves as parents? Oh, definitely. And I think that one of the things I talk about in my book is begin with the end in mind. You got to know where you're going, what I want out of this. If you really want to get in and set your kid up to be successful through sports and obviously success has success as an athlete and success as a person. And so what I always tell advise families to do, and I talk about in the book is come up with your mission statement. Companies have mission statements. This is what we serve. Well, what is the role of youth sports in your family? And if you can write out that mission statement, say this is the role that youth sports plays in our lives as a family and our lives as, as kids. And again, it can change over the years, but at least that gives you sort of a foundation to base your decisions upon versus constantly thinking, oh, that team won all its games last year. We're jumping there instead of saying, well, wait a second. With a great coach who teaches the game and is a great role model, we're perfectly happy where we are. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a, you just brought up something really important because part of the hysteria is what happens like that, right? A, t- a team is doing really well, and so the parents are like, "Oh, the grass is greener over there. We want to go over there." Without even looking at, does that club, does that coach have the same values as our family, and will we be okay? Exactly. Go ahead. Exactly. And yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I had a meeting with. Uh, club this morning that I'm doing a parent and coach education program for. And, and and that's what we talked about is when you have solid core values as an organization and a solid mission and everyone buys in, you will have people who will leave and jump for that greener grass. But a lot of them will come back too, because they'll realize that those six extra wins a year were not worth having their child treated like a piece of meat by a coach or sat on the bench because they decided to go to grandma's 95th birthday party instead of coming to practice. And, and, and these are the things that, that happen. And that's why I think organizations need this end game in mind and coaches need this end game in mind and, and families need this end game in mind. And when you start, when you begin at the end, it really makes life a lot easier. Well, and also, aren't there different time periods in an athlete's career where the priorities do shift? You know, I mean, there's there's definite importance of family events, right? When the kids are younger, and then at some point, if if the kids on an elite track or if they have certain goals, there are, sometimes are tough decisions, aren't there? Not about what happens with family events or senior ball, you know, senior balls or junior proms and that kind of thing. Isn't that kind of acceptable to the for the athlete to go? Okay, I can't have it all. There's going to be some hard decisions at a certain point in my career if I have certain expectations of myself. Oh, I, I definitely agree. But those aren't decisions that you really need to make at seven years old mm-hmm. or eight years old. Uh, you know, for the vast majority of sports, they're decisions that you're making in, in high school. And I don't think there's a lot wrong with a, a 15 or 16-year-old saying, you know what, I've decided that I want to play college soccer, so maybe now is the time where I'm going to dedicate a little more to this and and give up another sport that I've been doing that I like, but it's it's not it's it's not getting me there. 
what what happens a lot of times when when athletes give up everything else early on is that they get to high school and they start thinking about all the things they've missed in their life and then they just give up the thing that that they're actually very good at or worked very hard at to do all the things that that they never got to do when they were younger and, and now the parents get frustrated and the athletes get frustrated and and I mean I've coached national team girls in soccer who don't even play in college because they're totally burnt out because they were forced down this track really, really young and they're great players, but they're just like, you know what? I want my life back. I already gave up my life. I'm going to college and I want a life. Mm -hmm. Do you think part of that burnout was because of this, this, they had believed that they had to do everything perfectly and, and that's just not sustainable. Yeah, I think that's certainly uh, a part of it is this drive for, for perfection and, and and just you know every sport's different. Mm-hmm. The problem is we have so many different organizations in a lot of sports. Right in soccer, you can play on your club team, and then you can play for your state select team, and then your regional team, and then your national team, and then your high school team, and then this and that. You know, you, kids go from one important event to the next to the next all year long. They're not on one track where they get to to peak for something and then taper off and get time off. They're constantly going, going, going. And so while each one of these programs may have excellent coaches and excellent competition and be well-run, everything can be good about them, but the sum of them all together is not greater than the parts. The sum, the sum actually diminishes the experience because the poor kid looks back on their summer when they're 14 years old and says, wow, I had one weekend to hang out with my friends. Mm-hmm. Do I really want this to be my life? And, and you know, I, I, I hear them. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're, they're asked if when they're especially when there are multiple teams, they're asked to always be con- performing at that top level, right? They never get that just downtime that we do need, and um, and they, so they're like on that hamster wheel, aren't they? They they are, and that's the thing is that there is you know the the best science on long term athletic development says there needs to be times of peak performance, and there needs to be times of tapering, and there needs to be times of rest and the kids that get in the soccer cycle or a baseball cycle where they're playing little league and then they're playing little league select and then they're playing for this team. And next thing you know, they're playing six days a week. They never get that sort of downtime cycle. And I always say, look, I mean, even the pros get downtime. Yeah. And that's really important. So before we go on to talking about the athletes mindset, cause I know that's a real passion of yours. I want to just uh, wrap up, you know, we know what the youth sports, the problems are in youth sports. And the course correcting is one is what you'd said earlier of letting go of fear and pressure and really creating environments of love and respect. You know, asking coach, coaches asking themselves, what is the coaching legacy that they want to leave behind? Parents asking what's their legacy that they want to have or what's their family's mission plan, mission statement, right? What's the end in mind? Um, and that there are, <laughs> what else? What else is there? I mean, there, there, there's, there's lots of things. And I think it, it's really just taking that step back and asking yourself, does this serve my needs or does this serve the needs of my kid? <laughs> um, because so many things about youth sports now serve adult needs and adult priorities and not the needs and the priorities of the kids. And so I, I think that's always the question and when your kids are old enough, you know, certainly 9, 10, 11, 12 and up, 
people will always ask me, well, how do I know? I always say, why don't you ask your child? Mm-hmm. Like, ask them how they want you to cheer. Ask them if they would like you to just say nothing on the ride home after the game. Ask them if they, you know, they like this coach. Ask them why they're playing. Know their goals and accept their goals. So many people, that's a novel concept. That they would actually ask their kids what they want out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now let's go into the athlete's mindset. Why is that so important in this creating a high-achieving athlete or even just with any athlete in youth sports? Why is the mindset so important? Well, the mindset is so important because that's that, you know, that's that inner, inner voice and that's that understanding that, you know, athletics, like anything else, is an education and it's a process and it takes a, a, a long time to be proficient at anything. And, and if you are of this, what, what Carol Dweck from Stanford talks about this fixed mindset where you believe that your, your ability is fixed. You either are, or you are not, you know, so you say, I failed my math test. I'm not good at math. I got cut from the soccer team. I'm not good at soccer. When that's your mindset, you, you don't value effort and you are not coachable because when someone tries to coach you, your immediate thought is, well, if I was good, I wouldn't have to be coached. Mm-hmm. And so what I promote and what Dweck promotes is this idea that we need to help instill a growth mindset in our kids where they look at everything as a reflection of their effort and their application. So what I am today is nothing compared to what I could be in a month or six months or a year if I work hard and I make myself better. This, by common sense, you look at that and say, well, of course, if we work hard, we'll get better at something. But yet... So many kids don't believe that because they're constantly praised that you're the smartest, you're the best, you're the most talented, instead of being praised for you're the hardest worker and wow, you worked hard at that. And, that, and that's what Dweck teaches. Praise effort, you instill the right mindset, and, and people will have a far better chance of reaching their potential. You know, I was recently on our school district's uh, strategic task force, and there are about 26 members on there. and very different people. But uh, one of the young men who's in his 20s, he was really smart and he had really contributed well. But he had said, look, I was a failure. I was considered a failure in this district. And he'd said this when we were in this big group. So when we pulled off in the small group, he happened to be in mine. And I was totally curious. I was like, so, you know, and he's a paraeducator right now in the district. And I said, you know, so why were you considered a failure? And he said, well, you know, in high school, I was getting C's and D's and I didn't get very good grades and stuff. And I said, oh, interesting. Well, why is that? And he said, well, you know, actually, I was one of those gate I, gate kids. We, we have a gifted and talented program. And um, he said the biggest mistake that was ever made was people told me I was smart. And so when I was young and I would do my homework and it it, it only took a few minutes. But when it started to get hard, I thought there was something wrong with me. And so I gave up. And so it's that fixed mindset that you're talking about right here. It's if we can teach them that, no, it's, it takes effort. And sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it does. And that doesn't define who you are. Isn't that what you're saying? That, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, and that when you are telling your kid that they're smart or they're artistic or whatever, you are, you are thinking you're praising, you're helping. But, I mean, Carol Dweck has extensive research that shows how you're actually hurting them. And mm-hmm. if you can just turn the, the focus on effort, it, it makes all the difference. And, and there's actually a lot of research in sports science that shows that what, when kids are very young, these, quote, travel teams, these competitive teams, 
are made up predominantly of, of children who are born very close to the age cutoff. They call it relative age. So if you're born within three months of the, the cutoff date, you have a far better chance of being on a 12-year-old baseball team than if you're born at the end of that calendar year. However, once you get to the college and the professional level, the numbers are evened out. And those kids who are actually younger, who are not as big, not as strong, not as physically and mentally mature, guess what they have to do to hang with the better kids? They have to struggle. They learn that effort is the only thing that will keep them there. And so once they grow and once they catch up physically, all of a sudden they also have the, the, this, this mentality that I need to work hard to keep getting better. Whereas the kid who just happens to be the biggest, fastest, strongest at 11 years old never learns to challenge himself or herself. They don't learn to work hard. And so many of those kids drop out. Mm -hmm. I saw some crazy statistic just in the academic world that only 7% of, of Nobel laureates were child prodigies. <laughs> I mean, that's what we think, right? You're a child prodigy and you're going to then win a Nobel prize and be the most brilliant physicist. I mean, clearly shows that 93% of them are just, you know, normal kids. <laughs> learn to work hard. So this week we had parent-teacher conferences at my daughter's school, my sixth grader, and uh, the teacher was telling me about one of her favorite parent-teacher conferences. This this dad and mom came in, and their son was in fifth grade, and the dad is like a department chair at, at UC Davis, so you know he's up, and he's a full professor, so he's done pretty well for himself, right? And um, and he and he was looking over his son's report card and talking with them, and he brought his report card from when he was in fifth grade. And he said, he goes, well, I got B's and C's and, and I, I kind of turned out okay. So mm -hmm. I think my son's going to be okay, right? Mm -hmm. And he's in that area of love and acceptance that you're talking about instead of being in that place of fear and pressure. Because don't you see a lot of parents who may have had that journey, but now go, oh, but the world is different, you know, and they can't have those B's and C's because then they're going to end up nowhere because you can no longer get into the University of California if you're a, a California citizen or California resident, right? Mm -hmm. And they get into that fear place instead of just relaxing. I mean, I try to help parents relax so often of, okay, what, what can we learn? How can they get better? There are many different roads for whether it's academics or athletics. Um, but if we could all get into that place of, okay, let's be calm about this. Because if we put that fear and that pressure, we know what happens, right? P kids quit. Eventually, right, and and it's going to be the same thing in, in sports. And the uh, like I said, that article I wrote a, a week ago on on the race nowhere in sports, the the article that prompted it in the Washington Post about school. The the woman who was the head of the PTA there was just telling the story of her own daughter, who was off in college now, and who gasped didn't go to the Ivy League was <laughs> you know at John Hopkins, which is a phenomenal school. <laughs> And, and how, you know, some parents would be embarrassed to have a John Hopkins sticker on their car where she lived. And, and she talked to her daughter who, who told her, you know, that she would go to her room every day after school and cry because of the pressure to take six AP courses at a time and, and mm -hmm. do all these things. And it's like, I mean, is that really what you want your, your, your kids, your kids have plenty of time in their life to, to be under, under pressure. You're, but, but this idea that, you know, their life is going to be a failure if they don't get into their, the number one choice school is, is, 
it's kind of silly. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's very silly. And it makes me think about, you know, when we have kids in sports and swimming who are kind of the front runners, you know, they're young for whatever reason, they're the front runners. And it goes back to what you said earlier, as a coach, you have to coach the kid, not the sport. So coaching that kid when they go into the junior high school era and working with those parents as they go through their struggles, because for a long time, it was really easy, right? And there's and there's work to be done versus the kid who's been kind of the scrappy kid who's used to being dead last. And all of a sudden, you know, in junior high or in high school is having some success. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And their parents are having a different experience. And so as a coach or a parent, understanding that you can't compare kids to kids. It's every kid is unique. Every kid has their own path, wouldn't you say? Exactly. And even within your your family, they're mm-hmm. different. And I mean, how many people speak to who have twins and, and say how different their twins are? So you're, you're basically talking about the same cell and, and they're completely different people. And and it's so important, I think, that that we understand that the best path for for my neighbor's kids is not necessarily the best path for, for my kids. And the, the corporate world is, is filled with uh, CEOs who are C students or didn't even go to college <laughs> at all. So let's not get too, too, uh, you know, crazy about that. Help, help your kid find their path, help them find something they're passionate about. I had so many friends in college who were in business or in, in accounting or something because that's what their parents made them do. And well, if you go to business, you're going to get, you know, the job afterwards. And they hated college. They didn't get an education. They just took classes. And the only classes they enjoyed was when they took philosophy or took theology, actually took something that taught them how to think and how to communicate. And said, this is what I thought college was going to be like, not, not, not spreadsheets. <laughs> so, John, as we wrap up, what are a couple takeaways for the parents listening today or coaches? You know, as a coach, again, just ask yourself, what is my legacy going to be? What do I want to be known for 10, 20, 30 years down the line? And, and write that down for yourself and let that be your, your guiding light. And then you constantly ask yourself, is what I'm doing today leading towards that legacy? And, and I can't tell someone what your legacy should be. You have to decide that yourself. But I think coaches, well, what I advise coaches is that your legacy needs to be something like, I want to be a coach of positive significance for my kids, and this is what it looks like. That's a great legacy to leave. Not, you know, I have a, a shelf full of trophies. That, 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 that doesn't really get you very far. And as a parent, it's sort of the same thing. What is the role of sports in our kids' lives and in our family? What are the core values that our family holds dear? And are the organizations that we're involving our kids in are they promoting these values that are important to us? Are they promoting something completely different? Because if it's something completely different, maybe we have to ask ourselves, you know, we're, we're modeling behavior for our kids that's going to last 60, 70 years. This sports thing's going to be over in three or four. Is, is that a trade-off worth, worth having? And I don't think it is. So, you know, make it about your kids. Just, just love watching your kids and, 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 and enjoy this moment because it goes by really, really fast. It definitely does. John, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you so much for having me on. I always enjoy talking to you. <laughs> this is Karim Motokaitis, and my guest today was John O'Sullivan. His book is Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes and Giving Youth Sports Back to Our Kids. And the link to his website will be on the interview page. So there you have it. 
it's obvious from our John's and my personal experience, we're not coming from this place of fear. We both rely on a lot of research and then also our own experiences as athletes, as coaches, and also as parents. We learn from the parents that we work with and we learn from the parents that are on the sidelines, maybe from other teams. We learn from other coaches and both of us are lifelong learners. And so we, we're both passionate about how can we bring sports back to the kids? And so really, I want you to think about that as you think about what's important for you and what's important for your family and what's important for your child. And I do this. And one of the things I really want to say is if you're feeling shame of, oh man, I'm doing it all wrong. It's okay. We all are. John and I know this research and we make mistakes. Just like when he and I were on the air and we were talking about coaching and I was all of a sudden thinking back to yesterday's practice and trying to think about, am I doing it that way? You know, I'm a person that knows better and I could tell myself that really horrible thought of, I should know better, so I should do it better. There's a lot of judgment, which triggers shame. I can even feel it right now in my body as it's starting to shut down, right? And the thing is, is that if we can look at it and go, is this in line with the coach that I want to be? Is this in line with the parent that I want to be? Is this in line with the values our family has? Ask ourselves those questions because then it opens our mindset. We can go, okay, if it's not, what can we tweak? What can we change so that we're creating more of the, the process that we want to be a part of, right? Of why we do this. And that why is really important. A lot of times when parents come to talk to me about swimming and, or they ask me questions and I, my first question is, well, why are you having them swim on the swim team? Why are they swimming? You know, sometimes it's safety, sometimes it's fitness. I'm like, okay, well, now we understand, you know, you know your why. So then it makes those hard days get easier. And what I mean hard days is there's going to be days your kid's not going to want to go to practice, right? What is your family values? Do you keep your commitments, right? When you know your why is about fitness, okay, they may not want to go. And the question I always ask parents is, how eager are you to go do your own workout? When you come home after a long day, are you going, woohoo, I get to go work out? I know my husband is. I typically am not, right? After a long day, I'm like, oh, I need to relax. A lot of times the kids have that same thing. So one of the things that I recommend to parents is never to evaluate on the drop-off, evaluate on the pickup of what's going on. Because on the drop-off, they may have been at school all day and they just want to be home and they're grumpy and they're feeling overwhelmed and you know they've been sitting all day. And then they go off to their practice, whatever practice it may be, basketball, soccer, swimming, baseball. And then they come home and they're, you know, they're happy when you come to pick them up. And the parents are always mesmerized by this. Like, why is my kid like this? They're so mean to me. They're, they're having a hard time transitioning. So always evaluate on the pickup. I know my kids' brains work better after they've had some exercise and movement, right? And so we just know that that timing between school and before practice is usually not a great time. More problems can occur than not. So we wait until afterwards. So that's something to look at. I know a, a very um, big question a lot of parents have is, when is it appropriate to specialize? And that was not a question that John and I had time to answer or even approach. One of, That is a very hard question to a- answer. And when we were on the panel, that was asked, and I did speak to it. It really depends on the sport that the child is doing. So, you know, and that's really important. It depends on the family's values, right? There are some sports where you do have to specialize at a young age. It would be gymnastics or maybe ice skating, 
right? But not all the sports do you have to do that. And I talk with a lot of different sports coaches and, you know, whether they're baseball coaches or soccer coaches or swim coaches, you know, most of us are saying, go do other things, be a multi-sport athlete, try things, go do drama. I know with my own kids, we did that. So my first answer is, depends on the sport that your child is doing in terms of when someone should specialize. The next is, what are the child's goals, right? And it's really hard for me to believe that an eight-year-old wants to swim in college. Most eight-year-olds don't really know. The other is, what are the family's values? Is this something that the family is willing to do to when you specialize and the commitment to travel, the commitment to training? There's going to be missed family gatherings at some point, as John and I talked about. So is that going to be something that is okay with the family? And then finally, are you making these decisions to specialize because you're coming from a place of fear that your child is going to be left behind or there may not be spot for them? One of the biggest things that uh, when I hear parents say, well, my child needs to do this sport at age nine and needs to be competitive on, on the travel team. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to make the high school team. And the question I always ask the parent is, how do you know your child will want to play on the high school team? They're nine years old right now. So really think about and be honest with yourself of, are you doing this from a place of fear or is this from a place of support? So with specialization, like in the sport of swimming and different coaches will say different things. The way we run the swim team that we uh, run is we, it's about junior high, eighth grade, ninth grade in that specialization. And it also depends on, well, what is the commitment the kids want, right? There becomes a certain point where they have to put in a certain number of hours to get the outcomes that they want. And so it's understanding that, and it's a very sports-specific question, but it's also about the child and about the family because all those components come together. So I know people are always wanting to know, okay, this is is a hard and dried answer, but it's like that's like asking, what's the best food to eat? Is it kale? Well, it's there's lots of different ingredients to eating healthy. It's just not just one food. So with knowing when to specialize, it's going to depend on many factors and you're going to have to get different information to make the decision and you're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Making mistakes are okay, you know, and you practice and you tweak and you practice and you tweak. And as parents, we're going to do that. As coaches, we're going to do that. And the kids are going to do that in sports. So, you know, I really invite you to think about a lot of the stuff that John and I talked about on this in this conversation about bringing new sports back to the kids. It is really a great avenue for kids to learn about personal development, self-growth, right? Perseverance, developing grit, working hard, developing self-confidence. They get to really own it. I mean, this is, I really believe that this is the one area of their lives that they really have that opportunity now because their lives are so managed these days compared to maybe your childhood or my childhood, right? They don't have the freedoms that we once had. And so this is their, in some ways, hopefully safe place to cultivate who they are, who they can grow to be. What are the values that you want them to instill in? You know, what are the lessons? Being a swimmer for 14 to 15 years really shaped who I am today. I always will say swimming saved my life. You know, it gave me that safe place to be. It really was never about the achievements. It was never about the achievements. It was just having this place to go every day where somebody was really happy to see me and my coach would say hello and I got to get in the water and swim. It was something that I loved to do, right? And that and the, the lessons that I learned 
have influenced who I am to this day, even though I'm 41 years old now. So when you think about what is it that you want from sports, right? Yeah, there's some fun stuff that happened along the way and there's heartaches that happen along the way. But what will really keep you going is, you know, as John says, dealing with the end in mind. And we're not talking about, you know, getting college scholarships or winning national championships or becoming a pro athlete. I mean, those are things that we both have been a part of, but really focusing on the process. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.